Good morning, brothers. Invite. Good morning, brothers. Invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're going back a little bit. Uh, you may may have noticed this, but maybe you didn't. That uh, Barton and I kind of tweaked the schedule a little bit, so we missed John 11 during the uh, the snow ice storm, and then um, we. Uh, uh, adjusted things over the last few weeks so that once we get done with John 11 today, we'll be, we'll be back on the, on the normal schedule starting next week. Uh, Barton just picked up some extra verses during, during that time. So that's why we're going to be in John chapter 11. I just didn't want to miss John chapter 11. In fact, even during the snowstorm, I was up here that Wednesday night um, of the snowstorm and, or Wednesday afternoon, and I was talking to the senior leadership team, and I was like, man, is there any way we can have amen? You know, I was thinking, I said, I'm going to go down to the fellowship hall, and we'll, maybe there's a way. We had kind of cleared the lot, but there was ice still in the lot. And I came down here at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon down to the fellowship hall. <laughs> and uh, by the way, the church offices were closed all that week. We, people just couldn't get in. Um, and I walk into the fellowship hall and had, it was set up exactly how it was, how we left it on Sunday. Like the wall was pulled up, there were chairs, and I was like, gosh, I'm going to have to roll out tables and things like that. I don't, you know, and thankfully, I mean, I think we did, it's, it's so hard to cancel, amen, hard for me. Um, thankfully, we did it. I, I, some of you may have gone out or tried to go out on Thursday. Worst day I've ever seen in Memphis in like two years. It was I mean, 20 years. It was really unbelievable. But didn't want to miss John chapter 11. Want to make sure we get it. So we are, we've gone into the upper room discourse, and now we're coming back uh, to what happened just before that. Um, by the way, last night I, 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 was, I was so hopeful and excited to be able to uh, be up here this morning and just give you Alabama fans a really hard time that your basketball team lost to my Florida Gators, and then they just collapsed in overtime. So um, I don't get to rib any of you. Instead, I just get to say congratulations um, on being the number one team uh, in the SEC right now. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. We're just going to move on. We're going to move on to John chapter 11. I, uh, this past week or a week ago, <clears throat> I guess two weeks now, um, Man, I got some sad news. A good friend of mine, a good friend of mine in Linz, who's been battling cancer for a long time and had been in remission and was doing great, just got word a couple weeks ago um, that it's back and that she has to go through another round. And man, it was hard to hear that because we've been, we've been praying for this friend for, for years and we've been praying with them and walking with them through um, the cancer treat, treatment. Many of you know that Lynn had that same experience. And this one was a, t a tough battle for our friend. And it, it was so encouraging. We felt so, so much praise to the Lord when, when, when things had worked out and felt like over this last uh, year or two that, man, the, the, Lord, the Lord's healed her and the things are moving forward. And man, it just hit like a ton of bricks to get that, that call and find out that everything is back. And makes me think a lot of times in my life, as even as I pray about those things and other things, um, how long, oh Lord, how long do I got to keep praying for that? I wonder if you in here, wonder how long some of you have been praying, asking God for that healing in your life or in the life of a loved one. How long have you been praying, God, please heal me or please heal her or please heal him? wonder how long you all have been praying, some of you, 
just for that relief? Is it a financial relief and you've just been praying, God, please, I've been praying for years. I've been trying to be walk faithfully with you for years. Why can't I get this relief? Or why can't my friend get this relief? Or maybe you have been praying for reconciliation. How long have you been praying for that reconciliation? A, a friendship, a family member, and you're like, Lord, I've been praying forever for this. I, it's been weeks, it's been months, it's been years I've been praying for this. And of course, when you have those kind of long periods of prayer and waiting, you just wonder, is, is Jesus hearing me? I know theologically that Jesus hears me, but is he hearing me? Is he really hearing me? Does he care about it? I know theologically he cares, but does he care about it? And of course, that puts us in a place where sometimes we're just struggling to believe it. We know theologically what's there, but we struggle to believe it. John chapter 11 puts us in a place where we're, where we're seeing Jesus in that very context where it feels like, though theologically we know one thing, does he care? Does he really care? There's 57 verses before us, and I'm going to read all 57 because the story together really fits. So I know it's, you know, 645 in the morning, but let's, let's hang in here and hear the, the, with fresh ears uh, and imagine with a fresh imaginations this moment that Jesus had with these three people that he loves dearly. Starting in John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, <clears throat> the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. That's what we found out in chapter 12 about Mary. So the sisters sent him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, are not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks by the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you might believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Clearly, the disciples didn't want to go to Judea because they thought they were going to die. They tried everything to get Jesus to not go, and now they're going. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. 
But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Jesus, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they might believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen, linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he had prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So therefore, Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many of them went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? 
Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should, not let, the, he should let them know so that they might arrest Jesus. Amazing story. Obviously the miracle is amazing. It's humorous to me that uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees, uh, their answer to this thing is, what are we going to do? He's performed many signs. I'm like, no kidding. He raised someone from the dead. It's a bigger deal than that. And clearly they, they, they needed him to be put away. But that's, well, there's so many points in this. And some of you, after we get done today, are going to be like, well, Todd, you didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about, there's 57 verses and we have 30 minutes. So we won't hit everything. But what I want us to see most, because this has been our theme this year, is to see Jesus. So let's look at Jesus and see what he does here. First of all, I want us to notice in the first verses, first 16 verses, the loving delay of Jesus. The loving delay of Jesus. That sounds like an oxymoron. And you see it there in those verses when he says he loved him. He loved them, so he waited. It's hard for us to grasp the loving delay of Jesus. What, what do we see in this? First of all, we see his glory in verse 4. Not receiving glory, but showing his glory. It's interesting. We could spend a whole lot of time here talking about our suffering and our sickness and God's delay. And thinking through the purpose that God often works in our suffering, in our sickness, in the delay, is revealing his glory. When, when God's saints, when God's children have to walk through tough times over a long period of time, it is the Holy Spirit working in us and working through us that reveals God's glory. If, if we as Christians always had this perfect life, and some of us think that, gosh, Lord, if you just... Are, would, would always bless us, my friends would come to know Jesus. And yet the reality is, throughout the history of the world, that it's actually been the opposite. That watching God's people walk through great suffering, great sickness, remaining faithful because the Holy Spirit is working, is the very thing that makes people go, God must be real. God must be real. And so even in this delay, we're, we're seeing the glory of God in this. I've shared with you many times that, and this is years and years ago, um, that my son had this great opportunity to play college football. And as a result of several injuries, two to his shoulder and one to his knee, it wiped out that opportunity completely. It was very hard for me, in fact, even today, it's hard for me to look back at that, except that my son got what God was doing. And when you ask him, and I've watched him share his testimony in front of, you know, 600 young uh, middle school boys and say, God dislocated my shoulder, God tore my knee. And then explain why he said, that's the greatest thing that could have happened to me because it drew me close to him. And again, that's a, that's a maturity that happens in faith as a result of going through it. And sometimes it's hard to look at a distance and believe that, but God's glory is revealed in his delay. 
His timing, it's interesting to note in verse 5 and 6, his, his timing is always right. So even though there's a loving delay of Jesus, his timing is, is always right on time. Verse 5 and 6, those, that, those verses seem so weird, don't they? Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus is ill, he stayed two days longer. But Jesus' timing was right exactly what it needed to be. Can God's delay really be loving? I'd ask us to think about a couple more things in light of that question. First of all, do we really want a God who's domesticated by our wishes? (laughs) Some of you might say, yes. (laughs) No, you don't. God's timing is always right. You do not want a God who's, who's domesticated by your wishes. And as we wait, as we think of God's timing, as we're dealing with this, feelings inside, as God cared, as God, we've got to calculate God's love for me, for us, by the cross, not by the delay. When you're struggling to believe that God really loves you in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your loved one's suffering, in the midst of the delay, look at the cross. Calculate the love of God for you by the cross, not by this moment, by this delay. And then finally, his purpose, verses 9 through 15, purpose here. Verses 9 and 10, walking in the light of his Father's will, all that is, you know, you're like, what is, what is Jesus saying when the disciples are trying to get out of going to Judea because they don't want to die because they're like, they're going to stone you, they're going to stone us, we're just going to die. And then Jesus launches into this, are there not 12 hours in the day if anyone walks by the day? What's he saying? What he's saying is, listen, there's a certain amount of time in the Jewish, in the Jewish day, by the way, the Jewish day was calculated by 12-hour slots, regardless of daylight savings time or light or dark, it was these, and what, what Jesus is saying is, look, there's an allotted time, and the time that God has given me, the Father has given me, is, is enough to accomplish his will, but it's not too much. Same thing for us. The time that God has given you in this life is enough for you to do his will, but it's not too much. There's an allotted time. And so the purpose, Jesus is saying, listen, God's going to use me to fulfill, the Father's going to use me to fulfill his purposes. And this is going to get done the way God wants it done. And then look at verse 15. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you might believe. I want you to believe that I am the Christ. And I'm going to show you these things so you would believe that I am the Christ. Loving delay of Jesus. Secondly, the impassioned heart of Jesus. The impassioned heart of Jesus. It's interesting that we'll we'll look at the impassioned heart. We'll look at the immense power right next to each other. And man, that is Jesus, brothers. A love for you that that frankly you and I cannot comprehend. It's way beyond our wildest dreams, the way God loves you. And his power is way beyond our comprehension. It's way beyond your wildest dreams. 
your wildest understanding of God's power. And right here together, the impassioned heart of Jesus. First of all, his grace. His grace. You see it displayed in his patient and kind answer to Martha. I mean, he clear, it, it, several times it says that he loves them. He loves Martha and Mary. It, the, John's gospel makes, it, makes the point of this. And even Martha or Mary, when she, when she uh, uh, sends the message, her message is to Jesus, the one that you love is sick. So Jesus, you'll know what to do. But when she appears before Jesus, she says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And sometimes I think we imagine that what Jesus was gonna, is going to say when we pray that, when we say that, sometimes I think we imagine Jesus is going to say, hey, listen, you don't need to talk to me like that. I've got my timing. I've got my purpose. You need to not talk to me like that. That's not what Jesus does. There's a kindness that he has, a compassion that he has. And not only that, his grace is also displayed in his answer to the greatest fear and need that we have. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So not only is there this genuine kindness and patience with Martha's demand, But in the big picture of things, brothers, Jesus answers to our, gives answer to our very deepest fear. Our very deepest thing is, is death. Is this, is this life all there is? Is this, do I need to grab everything I can right now? Is my, is my only chance to really have these relationships right here? And when that happens, when you think this is all there is, it can be very despairing. Very despairing. Because we're thinking this is <laughs> so much unfinished business. I didn't ever reconcile with that person. I never really was able to tell that person how much I loved them. I was never, I feel like I haven't lived this. I haven't done that. I haven't. At our moment of greatest fear, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am going to get you to the other side. Some of you have already lost spouses or you've lost children, lost parents. Brothers, in the Lord, you're going to see them again. And the relationship will far exceed anything you've ever imagined here on earth. I've shared before that for a lot of different reasons, some some sin and dysfunction within my own home and some just outside my own home. Um, I did not have a, 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 a very good relationship with my mom. There was a lot of fracture there. And I look back and I think she had a tough childhood growing up. She walked into adulthood with a lot of trauma a lot of pain that she didn't know how to process. And uh, 
And so she didn't, she didn't know how to handle everything. And so there's a lot of pain and dysfunction in our own relationship. And a couple of years ago, she passed away. And I would say we had, the, we had as good a relationship as, as was possible with all that she was dealing with. But it, it certainly wasn't what I had longed for as a son. And as I was driving over to Chattanooga to Lookout Mountain, see my dad after getting the news that mom had passed away, I began to tear up with these, these thoughts, with this thought, this resurrection thought. I finally have the mom I always wanted. I finally have the mom I always wanted. Because she's in heaven and she's whole. Now I think, from scripture, I think that Jesus is too beautiful and heaven is too wonderful for my mom to have any time to give any thought to me and our relationship here on earth. And she has a perspective of heaven. Oh. But if she could, if she did, she now would say, hey, Todd, I'm sorry, and I love you. Because she understands it all now, and she's whole. And so when I get to heaven, <laughs> I'm going to meet that mom. Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus says, do you believe this? I say again to all of us brothers this morning, do you believe this? It is a perspective that changes everything you do today <laughs> and brings hope to everything you do today. This grace through the impassioned heart of Jesus. Well, we got to move on. His sympathy, verses 33 through 35. His sympathy, very interesting verses here, verses 33 through 35. First of all, when Jesus saw their weeping, and the Jews who had come out there also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I don't know why. The ESV is usually great in its word-for-word -word translation. But I wish it had done better here. Because greatly troubled is actually outraged. Jesus was angry. <laughs> Jesus was deeply moved. His, his inner heart was moved. He, just, he felt it viscerally. And he was angry. What was Jesus angry about? He was angry because of death doing this to his creation. And so he sympathizes with that. There's a, there's an, and there is, there's an anger towards death. <laughs> I remember feeling this one moment when I was in my 30s and my best friend from high school who also went to college with me we tried to room together. We didn't do good at that. But, so he moved next, next door down uh, in the hall, and then we were friends again. Um, and at 31, 
He took his own life, and I remember getting the phone call to tell me that Mike had taken his own life. And I literally, the phone hook, you know, the person hung up on the phone. I took the phone and chunked it across the room, hit the mirror in the bathroom, shattered both the phone and the mirror, just angry at death. Jesus is angry at death because he sympathizes with us. And then it says, Jesus wept. I know if you, you know, if you grew up in the church, you were like so pumped about this verse. You're like, I can memorize one verse. I got this one. <laughs> and if you did sword drills and all that, the, you know, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Oh, I know what that one is. Jesus wept. How did Jesus weep? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why? Why cry? Because he's connected to us in humanity. Because in his incarnation, <laughs> he really does get us. I know me saying Jesus gets us probably causes some of you to get raise some eyebrows because I know the Super Bowl commercial was like controversial. Whether or not we liked the Super Bowl commercial with Jesus washing all these feet and not talking, that last phrase of those commercials, Jesus gets us, is dead on right. That's right. Because of the incarnation, Jesus gets us. He understands your pain. He understands your tears. He understands the emotions that you and I sometimes can't express because we've stuffed them down so hard. And the heart of Jesus is connected to your heart. You know that the incarnation, you know this theologically, but it's always good to remind ourselves of it. That in the incarnation, Jesus connected to our humanity forever, not just for the time he's here on earth. That, that the incarnate Lord remains the incarnate Lord. Now, he has a glorified body. You say, well, how do we know this? Because in Revelation, when John is like, who's worthy to open? Who's worthy to open the scroll? Who can open the scroll? And then somebody said, well, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's worthy to open the scroll. So John starts looking for this lion from the tribe of Judah to open the scroll there in the throne room of heaven. And then John says, and then I saw before me a lamb looking as if he had been slain. Son of God, Jesus Christ, coming before with the scars because he's still connected to us in our humanity. The union with Christ. That's why we sing, one with himself I cannot die. He does sympathize with us. Loves us. Loves us deeply. The impassioned heart of Jesus. Thirdly, the immense power of Jesus. The immense power of Jesus so now we're getting to the part where he raises him from the dead. And first of all, I want us to notice in this, the justice, God's justice, Jesus' justice. I did this on purpose because I'm really ticked off that the world has hijacked the biblical word justice and made us all freak out about it every time we hear it. Makes me angry because the word justice is all over scripture. And let's go ahead and define it correctly every time. What is biblical justice? It's God making what's wrong right. That's 
Biblical justice is when your pastor talks about it from his pulpit and when your Sunday school teacher talks about it and is talked about in Bible studies, that's what we're after. We're looking at the world and we're going to say we want to make what is wrong right. We want to make what, what God intended that got broken. We want to bring it back to that true thing. And when Jesus is doing this, raising Lazarus from the dead, he is, he is displaying his justice. Jesus is outraged at death because that's not what was intended in his creation. But sin has brought death into the world. And so what's happening here? He's, he's making a statement about a lot of things, but he's also making a statement about making everything right. And so you, when you and I see suffering in our city, bringing about justice means doing whatever we can to make it right. When Jesus healed, he was certainly healing people in order to display his glory and to, to make it clear that he was from God, but he was also displaying his justice, making what was wrong right. Jesus even says that in Revelation, or God's word says that in uh, revelation that he is making all things new, making them right. His justice is displayed in these verses. His deity is displayed in these verses. Verses 40 and 42. His relationship with the Father. He is God on earth. Christ is making that clear. I am God on earth. I have this relationship. I and the Father share the same power. I'm going to display that power, his deity. And then verse 43 and 44, his word. His word. All he says is, Lazarus, come out. So important for us to focus on the, on the power of God's word. The, the fact that we have God's word in front of us, the fact that we study God's word, it's not just a... It's not just a narrative. It's not just a story. It's not just, it's not just human words, although it's written in human language. <laughs> we have the word of God. But over and over throughout Scripture, you see that it's God's word, his spoken word that has power in itself. So in Genesis chapter th uh, 1, verse 3, he says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke the world into being. On the cross, We'll study in, in a few weeks. Jesus says, it is finished. And it's more than just a commentary on the moment. It's a declaration that sin has been paid for. And in Revelation, we already mentioned it, when he says, behold, I am making all things new. It's, it's being done by his very word. That's why the word of God is so precious. That's why it's so amazing that you men get here every, every week at 6.30 in the morning to study his word because his word has power. His very word is powerful. It's why, it's why I just won't, you know, everything in me humanly was thinking, yeah, let's just, let's just kind of give the general feel of these 57 verses. Let's not read them all. And then I'm reminded Todd, the only thing that you really do this morning that actually has value is when you read the word. <laughs> Your commentary is just extra. 
There's power in the, in the spoken word of God. Here he says, Lazarus, come out. That's all he says, Lazarus, come out. He's raised to life. The immense power of Jesus. Finally, this morning, the unstoppable mission of Jesus. The unstoppable mission of Jesus. Sometimes we separate these things when we shouldn't separate them. And I think this is great that we, we took it all together at the same time. Because it seems like this is a separate story, though related in this plot to kill Jesus. But it's connected to what had taken place with Lazarus' uh, Resurrection. Now, the Jews were doing everything they could to stop Jesus, everything they could possibly think of to stop Jesus. And they reveal in these verses the reason they were trying to do everything to stop Jesus. And it's because they're like, listen, our power is going to be taken. If we let this guy continue, our power is going to be taken, and then our nation is going to be taken. So we can't have Jesus get outside the, the box. Now, we could, spend, we could spend a lot of time, brothers, just... Just talking about that. Sometimes we're tempted to do that. Jesus, don't get, don't get too crazy. Stay kind of in the confines of this because I've got some things in my life that I don't want you to mess with. So if you could just kind of stay here <laughs> and don't get involved over here, that would be great. Well, this is the, this is the Jewish leaders taking it to a, an extreme that we sometimes just take to it in our life. They're, they're like, we got we to gotta keep Jesus contained. And at this point, they're like, man, the only way to keep Jesus contained is to kill him because this is, it's, it's completely out of hand. But notice in these verses, and this is going to be important as the more and more we go through the chapters that are ahead of us, we're going to see it played out. Notice, first of all, Jesus' sovereignty over people. This prophecy of Caiaphas, he didn't understand how true he was. I know we're reading it now and we understand the cross, but you read those verses and you say, Caiaphas, this is verse 49. One of them, Caiaphas, was a high priest, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand it's better for, the, better that for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation should perish. He's thinking it's better that we kill Jesus than we lose control of this nation. <laughs> but we read those words and you're like, Wow, are you kidding me, Caiaphas? You just said the gospel. How's that happening? Because of God's sovereignty over people? Sovereignty over the most powerful? And then, even more fascinating than Caiaphas' words there, verse 51, he didn't say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And again, you're like, what? And not only that, but that his death would bring them all together. Now, again, in Caiaphas' mind, he's imagining, we kill this guy, we save the Jewish nation. And that's actually going to help us gather all the people under our power. That's what he's thinking. Now, we, on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, are going, why, are you kidding me? <laughs> he, he, it's perfect. It's a perfect prophecy. He just doesn't get it. How could that happen? Because Jesus has sovereignty over the most powerful. That's why, brothers, though, right, right, I saw somebody say this, uh, read this yesterday, that they were politically homeless. I'm, I'm politically homeless. Um, but I'm not fretting and I'm not worried. I'm just not. And neither should you be. You know why? Because God's not worried. God is not worried who, about who gets elected. 
That, that, is, that, is, that is almost irrelevant to God's plan. And he has absolute control and power over all those who supposedly have power in our nation. And he's going to, like he has throughout human history, used people in power for his purposes to be accomplished. And sometimes it's going to look like it's the wrong thing. Like it must have looked like here. To even Jesus' followers, it looks like the wrong thing that he's being arrested. It looks like the wrong thing that the Jewish leaders are against him. It looks like the wrong thing that he's being put to death. Only God never lost control of it. It was his plan all along. He has sovereignty over people. And he has sovereignty over place. (laughs) Another, it seems ironic, except we know it's not ironic. It says, verse 55, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Of course. Of course God would do this. Of course God would connect the Passover from the Old Testament to the very week that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is put to death for the sins of the world. Of course he would do that. It was orchestrated this way. God had sovereignty not only over the people where he's having Caiaphas prophesy things that are true and doesn't even realize they're true, but the very timing and location of his death at the Passover feast was intentional by God to show that he is, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. This wasn't ironic. It's not like, what a coincidence. It's the Passover. No, it's not a coincidence. It's God's plan. It's God's plan. His mission is unstoppable. It's unstoppable in your life. It's unstoppable here. And the whole point of all this is so that you and I might believe. Jesus said these things happened, said to his disciples, these things happened that you might believe. Brothers, we've studied this this morning so that we might believe. And I don't know where it is in your life that you need to believe this morning. But God has given us his word this morning to see Jesus in his loving delay. To see Jesus in his impassioned heart. To see Jesus in his immense power. To see Jesus in his unstoppable mission. He's given us that this morning. Given you that this morning. So that you might believe. Where is it today? Where is it that you need to believe? That's why he gave you this. That's why he gave me this. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, the beauty, the power of your word. We're grateful. Grateful for what you taught us. Now, Father, seal these things to our hearts. Seal them to our hearts that we might believe. And Father, that we might believe in the very place where we're facing unbelief today. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.